You have found the space between art and science. I'm your host, Erica Ruby. Thank you for joining us for today's episode, and I extend a special welcome to listeners who have found us via the MIT Press podcast. Today, I am pleased to present a discussion between artist, playwright, and technologist Kat Mustatia and Leonardo Senior Program Manager Vanessa Chang. Leader, Edith Dove reviews the book A History of Art History by Christopher S. Wood. Kat Mustatia's award-winning project Voidopolis is a digital performance about loss and memory that was born on Instagram, will premiere at the 2021 New Images Festival in an augmented reality format, and will culminate as an artifact in book form. Listen on to hear Vanessa Chang discuss with Kat the past, current, and future forms of this evolving work, and how performance and ephemerality of digital work can interface with the durability of print. Hello, um, this is Vanessa Chang. I'm a senior program manager at Leonardo, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Kat Mustatia, an artist who's here to discuss some of her work with us. Kat, welcome. Why don't we begin by you telling me a little bit about yourself and your artistic practice? Um, I would say most of what I do currently involves some mode of live performance that is in some way mediated by cutting edge technology. That would be the short version of things. Uh, I tend to write plays and come from theater, but I also have a background in theoretical mathematics and worked as a software developer. Both those things uh, tend to come to the forefront of what I do. So we're here today to talk about your project Voidopolis. It's a work that I first encountered last year and on Instagram as a series of Instagram stories. So I'd love to hear you tell us a bit more about Voidopolis and how you're reimagining the project through augmented reality. So I started uh, Voidopolis last summer around July of 2020 with the idea that I was going to retell my own version of Dante's Inferno, which was really about wandering around through New York City in the middle of a pandemic. I think it was an off-the-cuff decision. I erased seven years worth of my previous Instagram posts uh, in order to sort of make my Instagram feed kind of a, sp- a space, a kind of a stage for this to unfold. And I and I think it was a, a way of also like creating a break with the past because I felt like whatever was happening, it, it had forced us into this completely different mode of, of being and of telling stories. So anyway, I, I started posting on Instagram. The images that I create are for stock photography. So I create the imagery by uh, taking stock photography and wiping away the humans. And I create the text by using only words that don't contain the letter E. So both those things are obviously involve something missing, which is where I think the story is, what I think the story was really about, the the loss and the way that loss unfolded over time last year. And then I, you know, this, this idea has kind of like taken hold and developed in thinking about how the story would unfold, I realized that this was a story for right now and that it, it would need to disappear at some point. And that need had to do with the idea that, um, you know, maybe this is a story that doesn't, I, I intended the story all along to be something that I was going to wipe away eventually, that I, I was going to just delete. But then in thinking further about that, I thought, well, maybe there is a mode of cataloging this. If this were kind of an exhibit, how might 
how might a catalog for such an exhibit, how might I preserve something of this project for the future? And the thing that made the most sense was to create an augmented reality book of the material, uh, both the text and the images. I, I like the idea of a book that really is a bridge between a physical object and the digital origins of the project to begin with. But the thing about uh, augmented reality is that it, it's an additive process. You know, you, you have reality and then you're looking through an app and, and adding some additional layer there. But I felt that this project, Fluidopolis in particular, was very much about loss. And so I started to think about how an augmented reality book format speak to that idea of loss. And the idea for a Voidopolis book in augmented reality is that the book that you see, the physical object, contains both images and texts that are garbled, that are not decipherable. You see the traces of something there. And when you look through the app, you are able to sort of decipher both the images and the text. But those images and texts are only decodable for a short time. And so each time that you read this book, and you trigger the images intact, they decay just a little bit. And then there's a point at which that decay becomes fully realized and you can no longer activate this book. And so you're left with this garbled object. That's so fascinating. You, you know, you began by talking about how your work is primarily performance mediated by technology. And you know, it's a trope of performance studies that the interesting thing about performance is that it disappears, right? That it's ephemeral. And so you've transformed both Instagram and a book, which is, you know, as about a durable material object as they come into a disappearing object, into performance platforms. I, and I, I think the whole time I've thought of this project as some, at least in reference to my performance past. Uh, so I've thought about the story unfolding, even my Instagram feed being a kind of a stage. And then the book also, in a sense, being a kind of tiny stage on which the story unfolds for a time. Yeah. And I suppose the reader and the text are both performers in some sense, would you say? Yes, definitely. And uh, I think I, I do like the idea that in this kind of a book, you, the audience member, are doing something active to, to make the performance happen. Yeah, that's great. It's really kind of using the affordances of the medium to make this interactive encounter um, <laughs> between something that that is interactive in a different way anyway. Your project uses augmented reality to then reimagine what a book is. Book lovers, lovers of the object of the book that is, really cast its heft, its weight, tactility, materiality as central to its meaning and, and really its charm. You know, at least that that's how books are for me, right? There's, there's something you can really touch and feel. And so one of it, I think that's one of the chief characteristics that really for book lovers give priority over digital texts. And your work is really toying with that distinction in really interesting ways. And I think this connects with some of the larger tensions that augmented reality artworks can really play on. So how do you understand the impact of AR on material reality, material objects? How might you describe that interplay of reality and simulation? 
Yeah, that's a great question. You know, what's really lovely about augmented reality and virtual reality as well is you can do so many things that don't exist in the real world. So you can have a whale fly by in the clouds. That to me, that possibility feels like an invitation to not try to simulate reality, but to, to go beyond it, right? But in this case, the, the idea is if you are doing something like a transposition of reality to simulation, how might you like pick a scale that you can proportion that you might change? So in this case, we, we do know that paper decays, that books are going to decay over a very long period of time. So I, I just picked this particular relationship of time, sort of accelerated it and thought, okay, well, there, there's decay, but let's, let's really like make it happen within a few readings as opposed to over the aeons that it would take a book to, to decay. Right. You're kind of playing with um, the kind of scale of temporality here and it's interesting too that the invitation is to return to the book several times to accelerate that. That something that you're trying to do to invite different forms of being with the text, or you know, why is it that kind of return that you're trying to invite here? I want to be realistic about what someone's attention might be. I've had friends comment on this, like, oh, what well, does it mean that I have to sort of like pick a quiet moment to really experience this book <laughs> because it'll go away <laughs> and I have to really treasure that moment when I read it? And the answer is yes, you, that, that is exactly what you should do. And I, I hope that that is what happens in the experience of this book, that it, it feels precious. Sorry, it sounds like, uh, I mean, what, what I think is really interesting here is that you're seizing, uh, making a claim for attention in an economy of distraction. I mean, it's interesting that it's born on Instagram, which is the ultimate venue for like, next, like, 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 when, you know, you've now created this artifact that you're like, no, we have to carve out this moment in time and sort of be co-present with it in this moment. I mean, you don't have to, right? It's your choice. <laughs> but I hope that it, it does create a, some sense in which you, you might direct your attention differently than you would to a regular book. I think that just comes from my background in performance mm -hmm. in general. I think that in a theatrical context, you do think very deeply about how you direct a viewer's attention. I mean, I'd like to see if we might make a bridge now between your work in this book and the kind of interventions AR can make, you know, into material objects kind of broadly. So I think to me, one of the really interesting aspects of augmented reality and one of its more compelling char characteristics um, is its capacity to instill ambiguity in the environment. Um, I was really struck once when I was talking to some an AR artist and they talked about how even, you know, we, we often talk about AR as being something that's very visual, but even something like a sound walk really can change your experience of the environment. I wonder if you, how you might understand that aspect of it in shaping your artistic deployment of AR. I've heard a couple of amazing sound walks, I have to say, and they do really, I think something about the intimacy of the sound does something to, to change your perceptions. In my case, in, in thinking about ambiguity, for me, that means, you know, you allow deliberately multiple interpretations of of what reality might be. I like ambiguity a lot as a strategy, as an artistic strategy, but I also like to pick what those um, 
possible interpretations might be. So I like to pick two, three, five, however many, and really think deeply about how to objects or experiences that have this hybrid nature where it might have characteristics of one and characteristics of another. So in the case of this book, I, I'm thinking about it as, well, what part of this thing, this experience is book-like? And then what part of this thing or experience is performance-like? So I, the actual objecthood of the thing is very book-like, of course. It will have binding and pages and you can leaf through it. So that's book-like. The fact of its ephemerality, of its a relationship to, to time and to your attention, that feels performance-like. And so in creating something in between, I think, I think that creating hybrids like that allow ambiguity to emerge. Right. It's interesting too. It makes me think about the larger metaphorical work you're doing in layering Dante's Inferno over New York City. Right? There's this kind of literary layering that you're doubling with this augmented reality that's kind of making your project operate in all these different, um, different kind of tiers of reality. Yes, you know, I, like I said, I, I do like this strategy. <laughs> so I do enjoy that in any given post, I'm trying to keep some kind of a balance between what is Dante inspired here? Like what really came from the Inferno as a text? Mm -hmm. uh, what, it, what came from my own observations of the world or what's happening to me personally? And what came from what I understand to be New York City. And I try to keep that triangle pretty well balanced. Yeah, really a great project in so many ways. So now that you're creating and incarnating it in the world in this way, what are you most curious or excited about in terms of what it will become and how it might be received? Normally artists like, you know, they have a concept and a project and they're, it's pretty well formulated by the time it's put into the world. And this was nothing like that. <laughs> this was a fairly intuitive off the cuff decision to start posting on Instagram. Its development has been fairly organic. It's been an organic kind of discovery of how, what this project should be like or how it should exist in the world and the format that makes most sense for the themes involved. Not a usual <laughs> process, I would say. I have been pretty surprised along the way. So all of this to say, I never would have imagined back in July when I started posting on Instagram that I would end up some months later with an augmented reality book. It's the journey of the object. And I guess this is, this is the open-endedness of interactivity and of, of performance, right? As you invite other people into that unfolding of the, the practice that you're making. But I think it's also just a very practically a response to like the chaos and uncertainty of the past year. <laughs> right, right. Do you feel a sense of urgency then in creating this? Yeah, I have. Um, although that idea of urgency has itself become augmented along the way. I, I thought that I was going to be posting for, I don't know, a couple of months, then I was going to get it out of my system. Mm -hmm. And it actually took me a few months to get through the story. And I think it was the right length of time, although that wasn't the length of time I initially thought was right for it. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Kat, for being with us today. Is there anything that you'd like to add about your work or your project or anything that's upcoming in your artistic vision that you'd like to share? 
Oh, well, I should mention that I will begin posting now a follow-up to Voidopolis, which corresponds roughly to Dante's purgatory, because we are <laughs> now in <laughs> the equivalent purgatorial of transition, hopefully, out of pandemic. And I think there will also be eventually, I don't know when, a moment when we might call ourselves in the paradise, <laughs> whatever that might mean for us all as we yep. emerge. So I will be doing both of those narratives at some point soon. Oh, I'm very excited to see that unfold on Instagram. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Kat. I'm so looking forward to seeing this object enter the real and digital world. I'm sure our listeners are as well. Oh, thank you. Kat Mustachia is a playwright and technologist whose language and performance works enlist absurdity, hybridity, and the uncanny to dig deeply into what it means to be human. Her most recent digital performance, Voidopolis, won the 2020 Arts and Letters Unclassifiable Prize for Literature, received a literary grant from the Café Royale Cultural Foundation, and has been exhibited internationally. Visit her Instagram profile at Mustachia, that's at M-U-S-T-A-T-E-A, to see how Voidopolis has unfolded on that platform. As a curator, writer, and educator, Vanessa Chang builds communities and conversations about art, technology, and human bodies. She is Senior Program Manager at Leonardo, the International Society for the Art Sciences and Technology. She has appeared on NPR's On the Media and State of the Art, and her curatorial work has been profiled in Art in America and KQED Arts. More information about Kat and Vanessa, including links to their work, are available in the episode notes at leonardo.info slash podcast. If you're interested to learn more about experimental forms of publishing books and extended reality, I would recommend you check out the article by Selena Laja in our current issue of Leonardo Journal, titled The Virtual Artist Book as a Space for Curatorial Experiments, The Acropolis Remix Project. In this article, Laja presents her research on the concept of art exhibitions presented as virtual books. Her intent was to conduct theoretical research on emerging trends in art curation and virtual artist books, in addition to creating a digital art exhibition to be displayed in museums and other cultural venues. The research resulted in the creation of a hybrid augmented reality book titled Acropolis Remix. Read more about this in Leonardo, Volume 54, Issue 2 published in April 2021, which can be read via the MIT Press Journal's website, Project Muse, and various institutional subscriptions. For Leonardo Reviews, here is Edith Dove. A History of Art History by Christopher S. Woods, published by Princeton University Press. There was a time, now about 40 years ago, when I was much more engulfed in the early theoretical aspects of art history inspired by a brilliant teacher during my studies. I welcomed reading A History of Art History thus as a happy refresher of my knowledge of the subject, which however left me largely confused. Princeton presents this book, which has now also been published as a paperback, as an authoritative history of art history from its medieval origins to its modern predicaments and the first of its kind in English. As Wood acknowledges himself in his references section, the latter is not entirely true. Back at the time, we used Podro's The Critical Historians of Art from 1982. Although that didn't have the full scope, 
discussing only Kant to Panofsky. Wood does indeed a much wider job, for which are antecedents in other languages, such as Udo Kulturmann's Kleine Geschichte der Kunsttheorie, that was equally published around the time that I was studying, 1987, and of whom Wood refers to his earlier Geschichte der Kunstgeschichte, Der Weg einer Wissenschaft, from 1966. Another earlier example of a history of art history could be the Art of Art History, a critical anthology, edited and with an introduction and concluding text by Donald Preziosi from 1998. I mentioned these examples to situate a particular structured way in which I became acquainted with the discipline, being on top of that a so-called child of H. W. Jensen, whose History of Art, originally published in 1962, but of which we studied the second edition of 1977, is described by Wood as even-handed across time and place, yet keyed to the concept of the timeless and placeless masterpiece. Wood's book has a different approach. Structured in an introduction, 21 chapters and an extensive conclusion, his introduction sets the scene by sketching the broad setup of his history, starting with the description of the 14th century crucifixion altar in Doberan, Mecklenburg, to demonstrate an art historian's knowledge. The example doesn't have to surprise, as Wood is a historian at the Department of German at New York University and specialized in German art and literature. Somewhat obscurely, this example is then followed by introductory sections on relativism, a section called A Cast of the Dice that mentions Anita Brenner, who was strictly speaking not an art historian, but an ethnologist and anthropologist, who never adopted the academic mentality, letting Wood reflect that art history comes closer to art when it opens itself to non-art. A section on the origin of art history, on three modes of art history and on empirical scholarship. The subsequent chapters are dedicated to specific timeframes, the first spanning an amazing 600 years in only 10 pages, between 800 and 1400, of 100 years, between 1400 and 1500, 50 years, between 1500 and 1750, 20 years for the periods when the discipline of art history truly starts to develop, between 1750 and 1890, and finally in chunks of 10 years for the period between 1890 and 1960. Art actually most of the time alludes to architecture or the space in which art finds itself included. Cathedrals in all shapes and forms figure largely. That Wood, who is mainly specialized in Renaissance subjects, stops in 1960, is in itself bizarre, although he mentions further developments in art and art history in his conclusion. The first chapters initially promise to include world art history when they make allusion to, amongst others, Chinese art, but this is not continued in a structural way. All in all, references are uneven, focusing possibly rather unavoidable, mainly on Renaissance art, as this was the main subject of most art historical writing. Wood mentions the first Documenta exhibition in Kassel of 1955, but stopping his main overview in 1960 prevents him from commenting more profoundly on the influence of the curatorial art history. No mention, for instance, of Alfred H. Barr and his influential insights on cubism and abstract art via his writing and exhibition, nor hardly any mentioning of the ideas of artists which are, for the main part, also limited to those of the Renaissance. Of the modern period, the selection is largely limited to the usual suspects, Cezanne, Kandinsky and Picasso, 
avoiding mentioning Duchamp altogether, although briefly alluding to ready-mades in a general way. This stands in huge contrast with another relatively recent publication, The Critical Reader, What's the Use, Constellations of Art, History and Knowledge from 2016, that combines the voices of both scholars and artists, male and female. Another strange omission seems the avoidance of a discussion of Benjamin's the work of art in the age of mechanical production from 1935. While referring to the discovery of cave paintings and its impact multiple times, Wood unfortunately misses the insights on their important influence on modern art, as discussed by Maria Strafrinaki, amongst others during the conference Deep Time and Crisis, circa 1930 from 2018 at the Haus der Kultur der Welt in Munich, in the context of the exhibition Neolithic Childhood, Art in a False Childhood, circa 1930, and more recently the exhibition Prehistoire and Enigme Moderne, or Prehistory, a Modern Enigma, at the Centre Pompidou in Paris in 2019. Wood duly mentions the late acceptance of women into the discipline and refers to early female scholars such as Anna Jameson or Stella Cranbridge, but the history of art history nevertheless turns out to be a mainly male business. Wood does refer to Molly Nesbitt's The Pragmatism in the History of Art from 2013, but only in the references section, without discussing it more in depth, only listing it as one of the many books that have been important for him. Other eminent female art historians, such as Svetlana Alpers, Linda Nocklin, Rosalind Krauss, Barbara Maria Stafford, or Lucy R. Lippert, the first one of which notably wrote the game-changing book the Art of Describing Dutch Art in the 17th Century in 1983, are not mentioned at all. Instead, the focus is more on how the major art historians of the modern era, Jakob Burkhardt, Abi Warburg, Heinrich Wolflin, Evan Panofsky, Maya Shapiro, and Ernst Gombrich struggled to adapt their work to the rupture of artistic modernism, leading to the current predicaments of the discipline. Which erudition is beyond question, and the scope of what is being discussed is certainly immense, but a more inclusive approach might nevertheless have avoided a missed opportunity. After having finished reading the book, I regretted that I hadn't kept some kind of diagram to keep track of the continuously changing and often contrasting opinions on the standards by which art was discussed, either following fixed standards as during the Renaissance, through the pioneering discussions of Ghiberti and, of course, Vasari, or according to the relativism of the 19th centuries, the pros and cons of historicism, whether one was to prioritize form or content, the role of antiquarians, the development from connoisseurship to scholarship, what was considered good or bad art or art altogether. This is not necessarily Wood's fault, but it's easy to miss the wood for the trees, no pun intended, due to his flowery style of writing, which is already apparent in the short indications for the subject matter of his chapters on the content pages. The most mystifying are possibly the concluding pages, especially those where Wood seems to utter his frustration with academic art history since the 1970s, with the household gods borrowed from other clans, the concept makers, the irrealist thinkers or theorists, without however mentioning any concrete names. What to make, for instance, of form histories were metafictions that sustained the fiction of Gnosticism. Gnosticism is also the mode of the parabolic thinkers, the chimerical, non-conformist, demiurgic, marvelous, speculative, libertine theorists, often para-academic 
or exiled to the margins of academia. The chimerical or anti-philosophical thinkers are mostly self-authorizing. They have no clear expertise. They do not appeal to the real world, etc. Or is this a reference back to Brenner in the introduction? Wood indicates in his conclusion how the art and the art world has changed with art that is mostly much more ephemeral, often connected to protest and activism. That is certainly the case. At the same time, there's the speculative and political intermingling of the art market with art history as recently displayed in the Leonardo da Vinci Salvatore Mundi case. A history of art history does left me puzzled, which may be a quality in itself. It has certainly connected me back to my old love for art theory, and I will just definitely read it again, diagramming it along the way, while equally rereading Kulturman, Nesbitt, Podro, as well as the female colleagues mentioned above, to put it into perspective. Although Wood seems to speculate about an end of art history, for the time being, it is clear that art history or the history of art history keeps passionately rethinking and rewriting itself. Edith Dove is an art historian, curator, writer, and researcher specifically interested in notions of emergence and contingency, cross and transdisciplinary collaborations. Leonardo Reviews has provided scholarly reviews of books, exhibitions, videos, websites, and conferences since 1968. Reviews are published monthly at leonardo.info slash reviews. Visit leonardo.info slash podcast for extended episode notes with more information about our contributors, a list of all available episodes, and links to the streaming services where we can be found. Between Art and Science is a production of Leonardo, the International Society for the Arts, Sciences and Technology. Our editorial director is Erica Ruby. Leonardo Review's editor-in-chief is Michael Punt. Production assistance by Tina Swimaka. Our theme music was composed by Wyatt Koish. Find out more about Leonardo, our publications and our programs at www.leonardo.info.